He's been everywhere early on. Oh, oh. He's got a kidney's fall. The dancing feet of don't mind, Nick Martin. There's a new Martin in town. Draper wants to put an end to all this. Hands it over to Guelphy. Draper wants it back. The brush off runs in his face. Welcome back to the Lunchtime Catch-Up Podcast. The Lunchtime Catch-Up Podcast is two blokes that have known each other forever who catch up most days in the Melbourne CBD for lunch to talk everything Essendon Footy Club. My name is Grant. With me is Scott and Scotty. We Tonight we have a very special guest of the pod. We do. We have, uh, a look, obviously a friend of the show, uh, a friend in life, and uh, it's awesome to have this man on, Rowan Conley from Footyology. Welcome to the show again, man. Uh, good to be here again, guys. Thanks for having me. Uh, very chuffed to uh, to be described as a, a friend of the show um, and a, and a friend. Full stop. I didn't realise I had any friends. You don't make many <laughs> friends in my line of work. But uh, no, no, always uh, always pleased to talk anything bombers. So uh, let's rip into it. Beautiful. Yeah. Look, it's uh, it, it's funny. Like. Our, our kind of our recent history of the show, Rowan, <laughs> some of our shows have actually been ones where the club has reached out to us because we've had concerns of the, <laughs> and you know, the last year's shows and, and, and we saw what happened in the off season. We're sitting here now at round 17, just gone past fifth on the ladder. From you, from the context of what we spoke about last year, what do you see the difference to what you've seen to where this club is now at today? Oh, if you're a spare couple of days. I was going to say, that's, um, that is a big question, eh? <laughs> yeah, well, I, I just think, well, yeah, look, there's a number of aspects to this. But I think um, I think the club is now in very capable hands. I think there's a very clear sense of purpose about where the organisation wants to go as both a club and a football team. Um, I think there's clearer lines of communication between various parts of the football club, which was a, a huge issue. Um, and looking at, you know, you know, the off-field stuff is less sexy, I know, but, like, it, it, it does sort of translate into on the field, and I feel like there's a... Uh, uh, you know, I don't want to get too eggheady about this, but, you know, uh, symbiosis between on and off field, and it, it's sort of driven by the same thing, and that is just clarity. And mm. I've used this line a number of times this year, and, in fact, I used it again on an ESPN video earlier today, but I, I'm just – I am, and I know a lot of other Essendon people I've spoken to, I'm just absolutely loving barracking for a normal – Run of the run of the absolutely yep you know and what do I mean by that? What I mean is it used to sort of annoy me a bit, even you know when Essendon was performing well on the field, that it was always uh, the the word that comes to mind is mercurial. Anything that and I don't mean Mark mercurial, uh, you know anything good that happened that around Essendon, it seemed to be driven by an, in, an incredible individual performance yep. or. There'd be some Kevin Sheedy chicanery that everyone spoke about. And I always really envied, funnily enough, you know, the, the Hawthorns back in the 80s or, or, you know, moving on from there, Sydney and Geelong, the clubs that just get, got on with the business of winning games of footy and being a solid club and doing the right thing. 
And this is, I feel, the biggest difference with Essendon this year. It's just you you turn up to watch them play every week and you know you're sort of going to get a pretty decent effort. You know you're not going to get these absolute stinkers. You know, you can be pretty confident that you can watch the first 10 minutes and not know, oh, my God, this is going to be ugly. Yeah. You can be confident of picking up the paper every day and not reading some bizarre thing involving your club, you know, be it a, a scandal uh, infamously or, or you know, some off-field shenanigans or some, you know, tension between various people in the organisation. And, and it's just everything's normal. I feel like I barrack for a normal footy team and, geez, mm. it's good. I really enjoy it. No, I, I could not agree more. I was, I was you know, I was thinking – uh, uh, during the second quarter when, you know, late in the second quarter, we probably had about 70 points at that stage. And I remember saying to Grant, who was sitting next to me, I said, look, this is such an exciting brand of footy. And you go, you think about 2021, Jake Stringer has hardly touched the ball at this stage. I said, and this is a significant moment um, because – it's not individual brilliance. No. It's not relying on a guy to take over a game. Barrels from the from the fifty meter mark and that sort of stuff. It's a it's a just a methodical, clara- uh, sheer clarity of players going. I know what I have to do, and I'm going to do it, and I'm going to do it every week. Doesn't matter what happened last week after the siren. This is my role this week, so I'll do it this week, and I will be hard to beat this week. And it's just, like you said, there's a, a joy of going to a game going, I know which Essendon football club's going to turn up today. And it may, there may be turnovers, it may be a heartbreaking loss, but we're going to be in this game and we're going to be hard to beat. And, yeah, no, spot on. And, and as you say too, and I think this is really significant, that it's methodical, but that doesn't mean it has to not be exciting because yeah. I think yeah. the, the way, you know, at its, and look, that is definitely one of the best session of performances for years yesterday. Yeah. But um, it is really good to watch. And it's it, there's no tricks involved. There's no stringer, you know, pulling one out of his, you yeah. know what. It's just link up, run, hard work, you know, support in numbers, get the overlap happening. Um, and it's great. And uh, to me, what that said, that, that is a real um, tribute to Brad Scott as a coach because it says that, you know, we, we just do the efficient stuff and it's going to work for us. And, and the you know, the, the sort of little tricks that come with that are the, um, the cream on top, if you like. The meat and potato stuff has to be solid. And yep. it hasn't been lost on me. I've... Um, Look, I haven't been making a habit of going to the room, say, after wins, but I have a, a, a few times this year, and every time I bump into Brad Scott, we end up having the same conversation, and it is basically him saying, look, you know, we just want to have that sort of uncompromising commitment to consistent effort, and, you know, we're not going to win every week, but if we've got that, we're definitely moving in the right direction, and I keep you know, wanting to give him a big hug and saying thank, thank you, you mates, yes. people. <laughs> uh, and, and, you know, it, it, it's – I can't um, – gee, it's hard to sort of say this without it sounding like a comment on predecessors, and it's not necessarily, but I think it's such an advantage having a coach who is pretty intellectually smart and the Scott brothers are that. Like I've I've known both of them yeah. 
long enough now to know that the, they are seriously smart guys. And they their reading of situations, i.e. in Brad's case, coming into a troubled club environment, seeing the big picture and, and realising, okay, here's what we have to do, there, there, there and there. Um, it's just such a, a an advantage to have. And I think that's allowed them to turn this around quicker than might have happened otherwise. You know, I can't I sound like I'm his best buddy, but I, I can't sing Brad's praises enough as a coach. And you hear really interesting things, not that I talk to heaps of players or even people around, but I keep hearing this, that it's not necessarily about him being great mates with the players. It's not like, you know, like you hear Craig McRae and hats off to him. You know, you hear a lot mm. about him encouraging demeanour with the players. Now, I'm not saying Brad's not totally encouraging, but, you know, Brad's not necessarily a warm and fuzzy coach, but he's not a he's not a disciplinarian type either. What he is, he, he's very process-driven and the lines of demarcation between coach and players are pretty clear. And as long as there's – again, it comes back to clarity. No one is in any doubt – what is expected of them from this coaching panel, what they're required to do, and what the rewards of following those instructions will be. Yep. And having that clarity has made an enormous difference. Yep. And when you when you put it that articulately, and I think I didn't say the word correctly then, but <laughs> that I should have said, articulately, um, it's, pretty, um, it's pretty simple. I think it's everybody can relate to that even in their own job. If you've got a job and you've got managers and stuff like that, if they can articulate cl- articulate clearly um, the job you need to do on a daily basis, when you need to do it, why you need to do it, it becomes much easier to understand. And just to, to add on top of that, just after the Frio um, loss, we were lucky enough to interview Jake Kelly on the pod. And he was an incredibly, again, articulate young guy um, and, and well-spoken and when we sort of said, so what was up with the Frio game? He said, oh, no, boys, that was a blip. That was a blip. And he said it. It took Scott and I back how quickly and how confidently he said that was a blip. And mm. we, we both looked at each other and went, well, I'd fully believe that blip. And I think it's because mm. when he when they do when they do the replay of the Frio game, they went, right, here's how we lost it. This is this and this is this and this. They then know the areas because he said there's they, he doesn't pick the half a dozen areas that they had an issue. Brad Scott picks two or three areas that they need to concentrate, that they know they can change in in the seven-day break or the six-day break, and they concentrate on those three things. And the the feedback after a loss is clear. I would assume the feedback after a win is clear. And the boys are just coming to the ground, clear um, uh, clear outcome in mind, and they work towards it. So it, it yeah. the, 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 the way Brad's done that, I think over to partly answer Scott's question as well. The way Brad's done that over truck, I think, has been the biggest uh, factor in our success this year. Yeah, no, absolutely. A really interesting thing too. I was actually, believe it or not, doing a bit of research before we did this because I just—it's been a few weeks since I sort of sat down and drilled down on on Essendon's numbers. Um, but it was really interesting to me because. You're talking about a side fifth on the ladder, uh, and yet their their rankings in various key statistical indicators yep. aren't necessarily that flash. Mm. And and they're challenging some accepted um, 
you know, key indicators as well. Like, for example, you know, there's a lot of stuff uh, written about oh, Hawthorne famously went against some old here, but contested possession, for example, yeah, it's always held up as you know, you've got to be good at contested ball. Um, well, I haven't got the, the latest, but at the end of round, uh, what was 16, Essendon's ranking for, on the contested possession differentials was only 13th. They were ninth wow. for clearances. Inside 50, differential, and so differential is, you know, your inside 50s minus yep. those against you. Essendon were ranked 16th on the inside 50 um, differential. So, you know, some of those numbers are, are, are pretty unimpressive. You're talking about a side that's been without its leading goal kicker for half a season. Yeah. Um, has recruited another key forward in Sam Wiedemann, who hasn't, for whatever reason, hasn't yet clicked. Another one in Harry Jones, who's been injured. And yet, this is a forward line that's been able to sort of hold its own and come and, and, and concoct scores that have been good enough to win X amount of games. Again, that's a testament, a, a testament to the the Scott system, if you like. Where they are well-ranked um, is interesting too. They're, they're ranked number one in the league for defensive 50 to inside, uh, forward 50 transition. Um, they defend very well. They're only Essendon are ranked, um, like I said, 16th on inside 50 differential. So they, the ball's going in that defensive 50 a lot. But they're ranked fifth for... Um, fewer scores conceded from opposition inside 50. So the ball gets in there too much, but when it does get in there, they defend very well. And the other thing about that D50 to offensive 50 ranking is there's this belief in footy that you can't be a a coast-to-coast side. You know, that's not going to win your premierships. You've got to be a territory side and lock the ball in that forward 50. Again, Essendon's figures in those territory and forward 50 stats their rankings aren't that great, but they're proving that. I mean, and sure, they want to improve them. Don't get me wrong. You know, I'm not saying it doesn't matter, but they're being able to get to fifth on the ladder even without those rankings being that great. And that, too, I looked at this tonight and I just went, "Wow, you know, th- this is a side with some serious scope for improvement because they're doing this well without the benefit of those numbers being yeah. good." What mm. happens as they improve? You know, the sky's the limit. So, yeah. Um, I just thought, you know, it's an interesting perspective on how this side is evolving and uh, not just how they're going, but the the room there still is for a, a lot further improvement. I'm interested in your thoughts on, on Zachy Merritt because obviously that was – there was obviously a lot of off-field off big decisions made and, and turnovers. Then on-field, obviously, Zach Merritt's been announced captain. I don't know if you heard this, and it wasn't picked up by the media, but – as, as Fox Footy were playing after the game, Zach Merritt's having a conversation with Darcy Parrish, and it's very hard to hear, but you can actually hear it. And he's not impressed by the margin. He clearly states to Darcy that, you know, uh, that, that shouldn't have been the margin. Um, and I was just, I thought that's just an interesting psyche. Like, you, there was, it was such a build up seventh versus eighth. The winner is, this is the biggest four points of the year. He's still thinking about improvement. Like he's still thinking at the end of the game, we could have, we should have won that by more. Um, he's a different approach to Heps, and and all credit to Heps, he's having a fantastic six to eight weeks, by the way. Um, but his first ten seconds of the game, massive tackle sets the tone. How have you seen his year so far? Unbelievable. 
uh, you know, really, uh, you know, I was sitting there, I did three AW last night after the game and uh, I, I just couldn't sing his praises enough. And I think I said, you know, sometimes a guy will get appointed captain and you just think, oh, that is just so obvious. I've seen few players in my time watching footy where the elevation of that captaincy role was as obvious as his was. You know, I mean, he was he was really a leader of that side years before he was made one. But having that official mantle, you know, for some guys it doesn't make that much difference. I think it's taken him to another level again. And, mm. you know, the level was pretty bloody good anyway. But <laughs> I think he now... Um, it just sits beautifully, the role of captaincy with some people, and I think it does with him. And I, I've thought about why, and I think maybe it's just, you know, I don't want to sort of speak on his behalf, but I suspect a lot of it's to do with he now feels he has permission to be able to say the things that he wanted to say previously. And, and I don't mean speaking harshly, but I mean be able to say with authority to someone, listen, mate, you need to be doing this, this, and this better than you are. And I'm not. I'm not just going to say that. I'm going to show you by leading the way. And yeah. I, I think his his purely on field performance. I think that's gone to another level as a result. You know, he's he's without looking at the numbers, he seems to be kicking more goals. Yeah, his touches seem to be more damaging. He has that capacity to, and this is what the really great captains do. You know, when things are threatening to go off 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 the rails a little bit, he has that capacity to be able to insert himself into the game more and, and actively step up and rest you know, to sort of turn the ship around. And um, I think he's just done that so naturally and so effortlessly. Um, he's just, he will end up being one of the best captains the Eston footy clubs ever had. I've got yeah. no doubt. And he's just been, he's been superb. He has been superb, and uh, I think you can't overstate the importance um, of him stepping up into that official formal leadership role. Now, I've got a quick question for you. There's a lot of debate on the podcast Facebook page about our back line. Now, you've just given some stats that um, whilst the ball gets into our, uh, our uh, D50 a lot, we're actually ranked fifth best in the comp with regards to um, our defence as a whole. Now, yeah. the, the debate is Essendon needs a big, strong defender. We need a big um, Harry Mackay or we need a big um, Himmelberg or somebody along those lines, right? My argument is... Ben Mackay, not yet, Ben Mackay. Uh, my argument is that our defence is doing well, at, well enough at the moment or well, i.e. fifth best in the league, and that my, opin my opinion is that the focus should be on the midfield and the reason why the ball is going in there so often. My question to you is what influence does the midfield defense have on a on the actual back six? Well, a lot in terms of volume of entries. And yeah. you know, I read out those numbers before, you know, Essendon concedes a lot of inside 50s. Yeah. Uh, and what that means is that, you know, no matter how good your defence is, it, it, it'll end up busting under the, the sheer weight of pressure, you know, because it, it, it accumulates. Guys get physically fatigued by having to defend for, for a greater percentage of a yep. game. So um, that absolutely needs to be addressed. And, uh, yeah, look, I, I agree with you. I, I was thinking about this before. 
I think there are fewer occasions in a season now where you are going to be obviously caught short being a bit undersized and uh, under strength as a defensive unit. And that's because there are fewer forward lines these days, I think, with big hulking key forward targets. You know, like even, even Geelong, for example, you know, they've got Cameron and Hawkins. But they're very mobile, you know. Like Jer- Jeremy Cameron's not going to be taken by a a big hulking fullback type. You got to be mobile to play on Jeremy Cameron. Yep. Um, you know, Ditto say Richmond even a few years ago with Rewalt and Winch. They're strong, they're big, but they're mobile. So you know, mobility is as important, if not more important, than height. Physical strength obviously is important. Yeah. But one of the one of the I'm a big fan of um, defensive groups staying as a unit Same. And, yep. and and getting to understand each other's nuances, if you like. And I reckon if you look at most premiership sides, the defensive mm. six uh, will have spent a lot of time together and played a lot together and know each other's games inside out. And I was I was I wrote down my names before and I thought. Essendon's defenders, okay, who are we talking about there? You know, Redman, Ridley, Laverde, McGrath, Zerk Thatcher. I really like what they're putting together as a unit. And um, a good reflection of that for me is the the profile of someone like Zerk Thatcher, who, you know, how many games would Zerk Thatcher have played now? 30, 40? Oh, something like that, but... A lot, yeah, of, the, lot of years in the VFL. Yeah. <laughs> but, you know, no, not that many games, and yet he looks so confident and so assured. Yeah. Hats off to him. You know, he, he, he's proving to be a great and will be a long-term great key defender. But a lot of that also is the support he gets from those other guys I just mentioned. I like the dynamic between them. I like – I think they've improved McGrath's game. You know, McGrath's mm, playing big time. Real. Yeah. Shorty now. You know, Redman is such a good player now, but it's the efforts of Ridley and Laverde doing sometimes the less spectacular stuff that allows Redman to dash off and create more. So it's all, you know, sort of you, one of them gives sacrifices a little bit and that's to the benefit of another one of them. It, but it's that whole thing about working as a group. And I think um, it's a long-winded way of answering your question, but I think it makes it less important that there are, you know, a couple of big, strong key defensive types for those fewer and fewer occasions now when you're coming up against an opposition that has, well, I miss the most obvious one, I guess, Carlton with a, a Mackay and a Kerno. Mm-hmm. But, I mean, Essendon, Essendon defended the Blues pretty well, didn't they, the other Absolutely. week? Absolutely, yeah. So, so, again, to me, um, that is, that is a, another great sign that this, of a long-term, big-picture approach, is you play the same group of guys, they get to know each other's games inside out, and then eventually work towards something special. Just while we're talking about groups and personnel and whatever, I was trying to think in terms of names before. What has made the difference this year? Well, I mentioned, you know, the spreading of the load, I think. Um, The fact that the midfield has coped okay, even with the weighted numbers against it, coped pretty well without Parrish without Shield, and then without Setterfield, who yep. in a short space of time became important. But they, they got the job done regardless. Now, what's been a huge factor there for me, and speaking about future leaders and whatever, Hobbs, what an yes. excellent 
revelation. This guy's absolutely. Been, you know, the biggest, the most amazing thing for me about Hobbs is his age. He's nineteen. Yeah. Like I can't believe it. He plays like a twenty-five-year-old. He plays like a guy who's played two hundred games. We we on Throw W we interviewed Peter Wright after the game. He couldn't sing his praises enough. I mean, he's having a profound impact on that side. I love the way a guy like Jai Caldwell is is just gradually having more influence. His defensive abilities, his tackling is becoming really important. I like the way I know I've sung this guy's praises before, but Archie Perkins, you know, in a typical lesson and previously a typical Essendon setup, a guy like Perkins would be cast as a a star, a young Tyro, and he's flashy and whatever. I love the way that Perkins has become just another ordinary Essendon player, not necessarily spectacular, but he plays his role. Mm. I'm loving the fact that he's durable, that he actually gets on the park week after week, <laughs> Absolutely. Does, his, does his job, and that adds to the... Collective. I'm rambling a bit here, I know. But it's, no, that's it's okay, all, mate. It's all think symbiosis and that big picture. All these things are like bits of a, a one of those mammoth, incredibly annoying jigsaw puzzles with a thousand bits. Yeah. You lose one, it stuffs up the whole thing. Well, we haven't lost one yet. And we're, that picture's that big yacht or boat or whatever it is we've <laughs> got the picture of is becoming clearer. And it's, it's really exciting, albeit in uh, an atypical Essendon fashion. It's not the Essendon we've been used to, but I'll take this one over the other one. Absolutely. Yeah, Yeah, it's funny. When when I'm watching the Carlton game and seeing, you know, your Cripps and Walsh and Kennedy and and these really good names um, in the midfield, and, yeah, we we obviously missed the the Shield and Setters and and Parrish. At that point in time, I remember thinking, uh, like, Perkins goes on Cripps, uh, you got uh, Colwell and Hobbs go into a lot more centre bounces, and you got Nick Martin starring. And I'm thinking, like, I remember saying to Grant, no one is over the age of 22 here. Like, this is this is uh, the quality of what these young guys are doing. Plus um, 30, 30 touches. It, from it's Sars. not just a it's not just a try hard feel. Like, oh, they're just for one game. You like you see the Hobbs and you see the Colwell and what they're doing. You're like, these are actually. You know, the Cowboys pick 11, Hobbs pick 13. These are guys who are are, are now being developed in a proper way. Uh, and and it's interesting, when we're talking about Brad Scott, why I love him, I, the fact that he, Hobbs had a good year last year and he went, no, Hobbs, you're not starting this season. You're playing in the guts, in the VFL, play your first four games. And Hobbs said after the game, it actually made me so hungry because I was so pissed off. That this is and this is the, the this is the result. Yeah, no, spot on, spot on, and and that gets back to what I'm talking about. And the the other thing that crossed my mind when you mentioned these the group of young blokes is, and this gets back to I guess off the field. And look, I you know I've I've had a coffee with Ryan Larkin and spoken to him a bit, but I you know I can't sort of speak to the club's media marketing strategy, but I sort of feel like. Once upon a time, they would have taken that group of guys and present, you know, slapped them on the cover of a magazine as, you know, the young guns or the new baby bombers. Yeah, or something yeah. Like that. Well, stuff that, you know, we don't need that sort of hype. We just need these guys to come in, get games under their belt, know what they've got to do, be part of a bigger system. And, and look, what it's happening right under our noses. 
but without the fanfare. So what happens is the rest of the footy world has to see Essendon start winning game after game and then suddenly goes, gee, hang on, this side's not bad. I think yeah. that's a great trait to have too. And it's, again, you know, this club, as as much as I love the Essendon Footy Club, it has got that reputation of hubris and, um, you know, it's never it's never been one not to, uh, what's the phrase, to hide its light under a bushel. You know, they haven't been backward and coming forward when something's good. I like the way this is all a bit understated. I think there's real substance evolving and, you know, let's do it. Let's actually do something before we start blowing our own trumpet about it. And that's an, another thing that I'm loving about this club. And that, again, is an off-field thing that I think is having real um, ramifications in a positive sense for what happens on the field. Yeah. Absolutely, mate. Well, um, we could talk to you for another sort of hour and a half, mate. We we absolutely love it and so do our listeners, but we've got to let you go. Uh, Rowan, thank you very much uh, for joining us tonight. Mate, where can, um, where can people listen to you and see you? Oh, I don't know. I get sick of the sound of my own voice these days. Well, um, we don't. Can I, just, can I just say that I'm absolutely loving the, the chemistry of you and Rodney Ede. Uh, it's been just a great duo. On the Footyology podcast. Yeah, uh, yes, mate, well, yes. well done. Well done. Uh, it would be helpful uh, if I actually said that, yes. I <laughs> no, no, appreciate that. Look, I've known I've known Rocket a long time and, um, you know, we have sort of similar senses of humour, I think. And, and, and look, I, I, I appreciate that because it's, um, it is um it is great fun. He is a brilliant footy mind, Rocket. Um, but, he, you know, he's, he's always had a good sense of humour and doesn't mind a quip, you know, so... Uh, we work very well together and having a lot of fun doing that. So, yeah, look, if you haven't heard that, do us a favour and have a listen to the Footyology, Footyology podcast available where you get all your good, good podcasts. podcasts yeah. the Footyology website, footyology.com.au, um, which is, well, you know, I like to think it's one of Australia's leading independent football and lifestyle sites because we're not just football. Um mm-hmm. We are always trying to continue to grow. So, you know, have a look around there, people. And if you like it, please become an official Footyology patron via um, Patreon, which uh, helps us continue. It's a pretty, you know, sort of smell of the oily rag type operation. So all donations gratefully accepted. So you can see my stuff there. Um, I do a fair bit for ESPN. I write a couple of columns, do a video and do a sort of Q&A type thing for them. I write for Australian Community Media as well. Um, what else? Oh, and I'm, I'm, my radio career seems to have taken off again for some reason. Indeed, yes. I'm doing uh, 3AW uh, quite a bit, more than I bargained on actually. But, um, yeah, we do a a Sunday evening sort of wrap of the round type thing. Uh, I'm occasionally bobbing up, uh, doing the boundary and and uh, stats slash comments and uh, the odd preview and review stuff too. So when I say I'm getting sick of the sound of my own voice, I'm not kidding really. <laughs> I, I need a break from it. I don't listen to any of it back because I can't stand my own voice. <laughs> but uh, anyway, another long-winded answer. That's where you can find me. Oh, you can see me arguing with people on Twitter as well, but that's a bit <laughs> given, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> that's a, that's a given, and that's that's just yeah, that's, that's just morbid fun for me. But I was uh, going to say part of the reason why we love you, mate. <laughs> look, uh, can't thank you enough, man. Uh, look, whenever you're on, um, for me, it's just I I just yeah, I can't tell you how much I love it, and and I I, I just I feel like I just am so in tune with how you think, um, and obviously you know 
one day I'm going to do a music podcast with you because I want to talk music with you, but that will be a, a whole different subject. But uh, look, can't thank you enough. Uh, thank you for joining the show and all the best, mate. Pleasure, guys. Go Bombers. Yes, indeed. We'll be right back after the break. Welcome back to the Lunchtime Catch-Up Podcast. Uh, another great episode with our uh, with our friend, Rowan Connolly. Um, I've said it before, I'll say it again. What, what he doesn't know, you don't need to know. Um, just a really interesting insight. Um, and Scotty and I were talking just in the break there about how he sort of broke down the fact that the club is acting differently now. They're, they're yeah. very focused on the footy, less of the off-field stuff. So a massive thank you again to Rowan. We, we, we really appreciate it when he comes on. Yeah, so look... Just quickly, just uh, we'll run to run through some players that we thought um, stood out to me uh, and, and and Grant. Obviously, um, I don't know which order we're going to do them in. Uh, we spoke about merit. Obviously, um, that's a thirty nine position. Yeah, yeah. Um, interesting with the coaches' votes today because he wasn't the overall leader, so he was tied leader with Darcy Parish. Okay, and and I think it's an important thing to note because. The, the coaches both giving in Darcy nine votes out of ten tells you both both coaches saw a very positive Darcy. Now, I tweeted this out today and said, out of the thirty nine positions, sometimes with Darcy I, I don't always pick up on the possessions because he just gets the ball so much. I thought that was the most one of the most impressive body language Darcy Parish games I'd seen. He must have had three, four smothers in mm. that game. Just. I thought his defensive actions were really impressive. So that's what stood out to me most of all that I thought was a rip of a game. I, I, I again, can't agree more. The the Darcy Parish and Zach Merritt at 39, the goal for, for Zeret is, I mean, it puts him over the top statistically for mine and you, you couldn't really split him. It's a... It's a it's a pair of games where you go, well, that's just Merritt. That's just the kind of elite... Um, level footballer the man is now, um, and Darcy Parish is now have to be put in the same bracket. I mean, he's he's now an elite footballer. It's taken him what three games to get to um, the Darcy that we knew before he went um, uh, away with injury. And when you when you combine that with Andy McGrath, with I think that's close to his one of his few thirty odd touch games, like thirty one mm. touches. He doesn't get there very often, but Andy McGrath just thirty one touches, and then. Just the cream, the the cream that rises to the top. Um, Nick Martin, twenty eight touches, um, two goals. I mean, I, I mean you just... cannot. I know. You, I, I, every time I look at the statistics, I look thirty nine, thirty nine. Merritt, McGrath, the names that we love to see there. But man, <laughs> twenty eight is only like a couple of handballs away from that thirty mark, mate. But those two goals for Nick Martin is just. It's gold from that player. Yeah, I mean, it's not to insult the other guy. So sorry, it's, it's not meant to sound like a negative, but it's pretty impressive. I mean, him and Wiedemann on the same amount of goals, Nick Martin and Sam Wiedemann. Yeah. And then uh, so he, he's, he's to, for him to hit the scoreboard so much, uh, he had really good defensive work helping out, took some really nice mark and defence. I thought um, 
it's interesting. There's been a been a bit of dialogue, right, about when we're talking about the game and whole, that the second half we didn't really play well and the first half eh. we played really well. I I slightly disagree. I, I understand the last 18 minutes of the of the game. Yeah, yep. we, we, we sort of went a bit defensive. We kind of shut up shop a bit. Yep. And and probably Scott will talk about that. And and I think you heard in the Ron Conley interview, Merritt wasn't too happy about mm-hmm. the, you know, because it was a 103-59 scoreline with 18 minutes to go. And they've gone from 59 to 97. So you don't want that. No. That's a bit too much. Uh, but I thought the third quarter was actually very, very impressive because uh, at halftime, this has happened a lot, Adelaide got a spanking. Uh, it was 40 to 19 inside 50s. The coach was going to absolutely tear them to shreds. I thought Adelaide came out with a real purpose. And I thought to weather that storm and win that quarter by one point, was very impressive, and there's two guys that stood out to me in that third quarter. The ex-captain, D- Dyson. Dyson. I thought that's actually his best quarter for the year. Yep. Um, and he was unbelievable in the leadership he showed. 25 touches. And even though he's not going to be a massive um, stat winner, the one percenters and the defensive work that Sam Durham did in that oh, quarter. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, it was, for them, it was those two that really stood out to me it was a very mature way of – it was something I, I really want the club to get better at is when a when a side comes out angry, they want to challenge us back, do a counter punch, to just withhold that for 30 minutes and not let them reduce the score at all. I thought the third quarter was more impressive than maybe it's got credit for. Mate, two, two of the, the, the names that I think are going to be pretty obvious on everybody's lips um, – We'll speak about them separately, but uh, Ben Hobbs and Kyle Langford. Yeah, yeah. I mean. Two incredibly influential games just on different sort of ends of the ground. But Hobbs now looks like – and I've, I must admit I thought I was up on my Essendon uh, uh, sort of um, uh, nicknames and the like, but he's got the Goblin, the boy. I think it's probably because if he smiles, he kind of looks like a bit like um, Willem Dafoe when he played the Green Goblin in uh, Spider-Man. I don't know. Or that could just be a massive insult um, from, from Grant <laughs> I don't there. know why. Got, uh, I don't know that either. Maybe someone can tell us on the Facebook Absolutely. page. Absolutely. Tell us on the Facebook page, please. Um, he just had an incredible game, Hobbs. Mm. That was faster, uh, Especially quicker. Especially the first half. First half was just insane. Quicker, faster, more athletic than I've ever seen him before. He's when he first sort of came into the to the league. I think he took his time, or he, the required amount of time. He says as he's never played AFL before, but the required amount of time to get up to speed with the AFL. Mm. Now I think at some stage, somewhere in some game, a switch has flicked in his head, and I think he realizes he can play this game now. Yeah. I think he realises that he's worthy to be out there and absolutely knows what he needs to do because that game was outstanding from Hobsey and the kind of player that we would have just been hoping that he would turn into. And he's, as Rowan Connolly said, he's 18, 19, however old he is. Mm. So 19, incredible from him. And, and then just quickly, just the big thing for me with, with Hobsey, how well he's now thinking through heavy traffic. Yes. It's not just a uh, kick around the corner, bomb Get down it, the line. Kick it. He actually can ha- – his brain is, is going fast enough to know, do I have an amble option? Do I have a chip option? 
can I run the ball 10 metres up to the opponent and then release the another Essendon player behind him? Uh, so that, to me, is the critical area of his game. He's, he's now having poise in traffic. Yeah. And that when you start to have that, and with his competitiveness, you've got a serious play coming through. It's a big, it's a big task like, to be that in and under guy to get the ball. As soon as you lay your hands on it, everybody on the field is looking at you, and all of the midfielders around you want to uh, take a piece out of you. So he's several times I noticed, like you just said, use that quickness to get the ball, but then again that fraction of a second just to assess. Where he's at, like you said, is there a quick handball out or is there a kick? And then measuring the kick, getting his boot through the ball um, a lot quicker than he used to as well. So huge game for him. And then I know we keep saying this every year, uh, every week even, um, but I want to keep talking about Kyle Langford and the incredible influence that he has on this club. Well, he's on target now. So if you did his, he's on, if you did his averages per goals, he's actually now on target to get 46 goals this year. So... He's, he's kicked 32 from 16, so he's kicking two a game. And if he can, surely he can pinch so. an extra four in those games somewhere uh, and, and kick 50 goals for a season. Playing two or three in defence. And, so. and, and this is the thing, like he doesn't he doesn't stand on people's heads. He is very worthy of an All-Australian, at least not. I agree. Yeah. I agree, man, because he's just, he's... Because he's top, top five or six in goal assists in the AFL. Yeah. So it's not just the goals, it's actually setting up goals. He's... Efficient, he is clean with hands. He's got one of the best boots in the comp, and when he's got better at one-on-one marking too. Absolutely, when we when we're so right uh, centric, and I can understand that with the two meterness and all of that. When he's so right, we are so right centric. He is an incredible option, other than um, Peter Wright, mm. to kick it to because he's so incredibly. Good one on one. The kicks from anywhere up to sort of forty five to fifty are like righty. They're they're more than likely to go through. Just don't ever want to think that three goals and it's only twelve possessions from Cole, but I don't ever want him to think and for us to sort of forget how good he is and what he what he means. A bit like Nick Martin. It just becomes and Rids for that matter. It just becomes ah, oh, that's just another good game from those guys, another good game from those guys. Yeah. It's not an easy thing to do, man, and he keeps doing it every week. My final player, because I won't go too long, my final player, I want to note, Jake Kelly, who was on the show. He we got he got the task of uh of having Rankin for yep. the game and just I thought he destroyed him. I don't even know where he's... Shut up, Rankin's influence. Now, Rankin still kicked two very opportunistic kind of goals. Yeah, fine. 11 possessions. But he didn't... You could tell over the ground, he just didn't have an influence on the game, Rankin. So, uh, a really important matchup. Shout out to the whole back six. And I think we sort of... We made mention of it in the uh, Ron Connolly interview as well. Those guys are gelling together. BZT um, doing a great job. We've got... He had the the monster of Dixon last week. He had the monster of um, Walker this week. And they're, they're not getting off the chain. The the comment, it's not just BZT, the combination of Laverde and all of the guys um, that are down there, that back six, are really shutting down the big four, five, six goal games from those monsters yep. um, and doing really well. So, And probably but, should mention Archie just quickly. Archie having a bit more infield time, really, really good game, 24 uh, in the goal. So It's really good to see, isn't it? Like we, we mm. both looked at each other and went, oh, hang on a minute, Archie's starting in the middle and I was that was great. Yeah, I was generally surprised when the game started and went, yeah. oh, Archie's under the ball. That's uh, what we want to see, mate, more, more times yeah. in his hands. And you can better. tell like this is a positive thing because I think it's underrated with Archie, right, is 
He didn't. He played half forward also as a junior in like TAC. He hasn't had. They were they were thinking of playing him in the midfield. Uh, in but it was the COVID year, and so he hardly got any time. So he didn't play in the midfield, and he hasn't played much midfield time with us. So I can only I can feel it's only been four or five games. He's in his junior career from age sixteen to now, where he's played midfield game. So, look, there's elements you go, oh, okay, he's got to work on that craft. And like, you can see a few things where you just um, – but for him to have that impact quite early already with so much growth and development, it's, gee, it's good science. What is he, 20 or 21? Uh, it must be 21, 22. 21, 22, yeah. But third, again, third it's, year, third, yeah, it's year. incredible. Um, now, we, we, we'll move on to what uh, – we go to a break after this. Well, I think just before we go to a break and, and finish it off – uh, it's obviously we've got the news of, of Phillips' suspension. Yeah, um, absolutely. And we know Ridley. Look, the club said he's not he's not out of contention for this week, but it's you. It would be it would be unlikely, more the unlikely yeah. part. All, all season, um, we haven't risked anybody. So big. Look, obviously, this is a very big selection uh, criteria because I don't think we fully know if Baldwin's okay. That look, the, it was a, he was a test um, in the previous. Um, Injury update last week. So usually when it's a test, you go, that usually means he's fine for this yeah. week. So I think Baldwin, if he's fine, is a pretty obvious swap yep. for, for Ridley. And when Baldwin played his last senior game, I thought he actually had a brilliant game. Yep. Um, so I'm pretty confident in what he can do as a footballer. Uh, now you've only got Brian as the Hello, yeah, yeah. That's fit. So look, you feel like, just the assumption is that Brian's going to be the ruck. It has to be. I, I'm, am I, I'm interested just in this one because I have, I've always felt like Blixar's has mobility has really harmed our taller loping kind of mids. Uh, sorry, rucks. Ruck ones, yeah. um, so I find Brian quite, quite mobile uh, and he's a young guy, runs around the ground, especially in the VFL. I feel like he runs around the ground really well. Um, I'll be interested to, to see how Brian handles that kind of can he, can he run around with Blixhouse a bit more because yeah. so um, really uh, it's a, this is a very interesting tactical how Scott's going to plan around these two omissions. Um, so yeah, interesting game and, and also how he's going to handle Shearley. So uh, for me, this is just my personal view I have Shield playing a full game of EFL, get some touch, and then we'll, con- you know, once we feel like you've, we can see the Shield we know, then you can have a talk about does he play a high half forward, does he play a wing or um, – but that's that's my personal view. Um, so, look, a lot of little things to consider. Absolutely. Mate, we'll go for a, a quick break and we'll come back and wrap up the show. Welcome back to the Lunchtime Catch-Up Podcast. Now then, um, Scotty, the uh, VFLW girls. Yeah, look, it's, it's important to note uh, a, f- a fantastic uh, win in the elimination final, 10-point win. Um, yeah, it's look, it's been a really pleasing year, uh, VFLW, uh, because I think there has to be an understanding that last year when they won the premiership uh, because they didn't have the AFL – oh, sorry, the, sorry, the previous year before that where um, – 
they had a lot of good talent uh, to to be be in that kind of premiership, that VFLW premiership. Um, so obviously it got stripped a little bit the talent uh, this year, and and they've battled really really hard. And you know I, I watch quite a few of the games on stream on and if I can go, uh, and it, and it's been a really pleasing year. Travis Cloak has done a good job to help develop, help nurture a lot of young talent. Uh, so look. For them to be now in a, a final that could go to a, to a grand final is a really positive outcome. I think they play Saturday from memory one or one thirty at Victoria Park against the Pies. Uh, so look, if you can, Ooh, if you the can, dirty Pies. Honestly, if if we don't, we obviously play at night. If you can get down, please get down. It's a it's a second final. It's to get into a grand final. Get down if you can. Mate, the Dons are in a yeah. final. Get down there. Get down and, and cheer them on. Uh, it's been such a success, successful program, the VFLW. So, uh, look, I just wanted to make sure that we called that out. It's been a really pleasing year so far. So, well done to all the girls, to Travis Cloak. Uh, yeah, I'm going to get down and, 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 and have a look and, and, and cheer them on. So, if you can, that would be awesome. All right, mate. Well, um, another great show. I think um, Rowan Connolly obviously makes the shows just incredibly good. Uh, massive thank you to him again. Uh, we've got Geelong down in uh, G-Town uh, on the weekend. What's that on? Saturday? Saturday night, yes. Saturday night, G-Town. Um, first game down there since a good long period of time. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so, it's like Tim Watson, it feels like. Absolutely. I don't know uh, if Scotty and I will get there. Maybe, but uh, I'm not sure. We might be watching that one from home because... Should well, be, I think, nice yeah, we, we didn't. There. I tried to get tickets, but we couldn't get it. So uh, it is going to be a TV sport, but we'll be cheering loud from the TV. Roger that. Um, straight after the game, uh, the uh, Patreon post game reaction show. Come and check us out on our Patreon page. Uh, lunchtime catch up forward slash Patreon, the other way around. Um, Straight yeah. after that for the uh, post-game <laughs> reaction show. And then, again, back onto the uh, show on Monday. So uh, also tune in for our uh, Patreon show on Thursday of this week, our uh, team selection show. So massive thank you again to Rowan Connolly. Thank you, Scotty, mate. And we will uh, talk to you guys very soon. Catch you, everyone. Go Bombers. <laughs>